This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Welcome to Listen In, a bite-sized bio podcast series allowing you to access the best of bite-sized bio webinars wherever you are. Hello, this is Ava Amson welcoming you to this bite-sized bio webinar, which today is sponsored by Eppendorf. Eppendorf is a leading life science company that develops and sells systems for use in laboratories worldwide. The product portfolio includes pipettes, pipette tips, centrifuges, mixers, ultra-low temperature equipment, and more. Today's presentation is titled, How to Keep Your ULT Freezer Healthy. And it's being presented by Azar Bolte and Jan Bebermeyer from Eppendorf. Azar has more than seven years experience in various companies in application and marketing roles. Since April 2022, she works at Eppendorf as product marketing manager responsible for Europe for ULT freezers. Jan is a global marketing manager for cold storage products, as well as being in charge of sustainability of all Eppendorf products. He holds a PhD in the field of molecular biology. Since joining Eppendorf in 2005, he has been responsible for different product groups in various positions. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions you have into the questions box, which appears on the top right panel of your screen, and I'll put those to Azar and Jan at the end. So now over to you, Azar, for the presentation. Yeah, thank you, Eva, for the introduction. So today uh, we will talk about, um, in this webinar, how to keep your ULT freezer healthy. And together with Jan, we will cover um, topics like um, ULT freezer, why it's so important instrument in the lab, and how to maintain it, uh, maintain it, and then um, some tips and tricks about energy saving and sustainability. So, talking about the ulti freezer, why maintaining your ulti freezer is important. And when we look at the sample journey, uh, we are seeing different steps, but you can see storage is actually the most of the time that sample spends um, time during this experiment. And um, sometimes this can be days, sometimes weeks, or sometimes even years. And considering this, actually, did you ever calculate the value within your ULT freezers? And um, did you know one ULT freezer can fit into it like uh, 50,000 samples? And when we think about the value for um, a sample, of course, it can differ from, um, yeah, a, depends on what kind of sample it is but let's assume uh, one sample is like 10 euro it means that with this calculation we can easily reach a half a million euro within a standard ULT freezer so it's quite a lot right and sometimes there are samples which are priceless so example like in the uh, McLean hospital so there was a brain tissue used to study autism destroyed by a freezer failure. In this case, they were mentioning about how uh, it was priceless and they cannot value at the end and uh, the loss. So that's why uh, maintaining well the ulti freezer is quite important because the ulti freezer is, is not only a storage box, but it's an instrument which is an assurance for a long-term scientific success and safeguards the results of your work. And when a um, snowman or a glazer is welcoming you when you open the ULT freezer, it means there is some work to do. 
So um, clean and well-maintained freezers provide more space, you easily find your samples and save energy due to optimal cooling conditions. And keeping your ULT freezer clean and maintaining helps to reduce your workload as well as prolong the life of your ULT freezer. And first things to consider to keep your freezer healthy starts from the first day onwards. Like you um, choose your freezer and it's come to the lab. So you need to know the first thing actually where to locate it. And it's important to locate where the freezer can breathe. What does it mean? It means that when you're locating your LT freezer, you need to leave a space at least um, 15 centimeters from all around. And 15 centimeters is commonly recommended by many suppliers to allow um, air flow or air movement around the instrument. And the second factor to consider is the location. Is it ventilated? or air conditioned, because most of the labs um, airflow controlled by ventilation systems that reduces the risk of overheating. But um, sometimes when we think about larger labs, there are so many instruments, so many furniture, so many people going around and um, basically ventilation might not be enough. That's why where possible and feasible we actually recommend to install freezers in dedicated rooms where the airflow can be controlled and optimized. And this can, uh, this can reduce the energy usage for air ventilation and as well as um, optimize the storage conditions for samples and freezers. And last but not least, um, I would like to mention that quite often uh, we see or like hear that supply packages or like some cartons stuck on top of the freezer, which is not really recommended because um, again, it means that their air circulation is not working good. And in this case, compressor needs to work more to keep the uh, low temperature. And these are the first day to take care of it. And let's say you install, everything is running well. Of course, some time went, and there are some diagnoses that you can see or hear that your freezer health maybe is not good. And the first one of them is the noise. So there are different noise that um, you can hear from your ulti freezer, like for example, the rattling sound, um, which is coming from the freezer fan. And in this case, uh, the temperature might not be holding well, so it means that you need to take care of it. Or the second noise can be coming from the back of the freezer. And in this case, maybe temperatures running good. Um, but in this case, maybe compressor is working so hard to keep the temperature at the set point. And maybe you need to clean the air filter because there is so many dust stocking and the compressor cannot take an airflow. And the last um, noise, of course, freezer alarms. And the reason is that, uh, of course, the changes in the temperature, maybe door was too long open or door didn't close properly. Or the worst case, there was a failure, which we never want to hear uh, this alarm noise for the failure. And the other signs is the temperature profiles, uh, which actually like, um, is visible in one of our um, ULT freezers, uh, F740HI, 
you can really see the temperature diagrams like this. So if it is in this shape and um, it means that it's normal, everything is running well, the, all the pull down times and everything is always in the similar range. So it is uh, totally fine. But when sometimes we're seeing a diagram is going super high, it means the temperature is rising fastly. And if it's slowly going down, it means that it takes too long time to cool down. In these cases, typical causes can be maybe door was open too long or maybe a warm product put in, so it takes time to adjust. Or in worst case, there was a compressor failure. And the last one, which is not a good sign, is that the temperature is rising slowly but slowly and is not able to hold the cell temperature. And in this main, uh, this means that there was an excessive frost in the freezer, or maybe door was not aligned well, or even there's a micro leakage in the system. And mentioning about the excessive frost, so frost and condensations are other signs. It shows that our freezer is not really healthy. So location of the frost formation is an indication where there is an air gap between the door gasket and the chamber. And condensations confirms that cold air is leaking out of the freezer chamber. And thinking about those, why actually frost is a problem? Frost is a problem because it can impact the freezer temperature and also can warm up the freezer chamber because then due to the frost, the air cannot freely flow within the freezer chamber. And of course, it's also reducing the internal space. Sometimes due to the frost, you cannot place your samples properly. And even worst case, frost can actually close the temperature prop, which is um, sometimes located in the middle or bottom of the freezer, depends. And it's reading out the temperature of the freezer. So if it is the uh, frost covered uh, this prop area, Sometimes it can cause a false temperature information. So it's quite important uh, to take care of uh, frost. And actually, as we mentioned all those diagnoses, there are some ways to avoid all these problems beforehand. And in this case, I will hand over my colleague Jan, which will explain you the details how to keep your freezer well. Yeah, the big question is always to get rid of the snow before it becomes ice. And therefore, there are several tools which you can use, which you're using, I think, on your daily or weekly routine anyway. So there, first of all, you're using gloves to do all that because it's pretty cold in the freezer, but then to use any kind of brushes and, and uh, well, tools to remove the, the snow and potentially also the ice. But please be careful because if you're, too, if you're using too sharp material or if you're using too much force, you may damage the surfaces of the insulation. But still, removing ice is really key to get the freezer healthy. What can I do as a user? I mean, first of all, the gaskets are the critical part to close the freezer, as, as I just mentioned. And these gaskets can be cleaned by a cloth just by wiping, like being at home in the kitchen, just by wiping these surfaces. And that is something which takes quite a few seconds, but helps a lot. 
then you can really go to, well, the gasket check and have a look on the gasket itself. And on the picture you see, we use some kind of, uh, some, some paper, some money, where you can just check if it still sticks between the, the two gaskets, the gasket is still fine. If you can pull it out without any issue, then there is a gap in the gasket. The gasket, type of gaskets differ from the suppliers and they are mainly two different types of gaskets with pros and cons for both of them. And uh, one type, the folded gasket, which where you have two, three or even four folded uh, kind of wells of, of a gasket. And there you have a higher risk that you uh, collect condensation and moisture, which creates icing in the final step. step. And they are more critical or difficult to clean. On the other side, they are sometimes more flexible to close the door. The second type of gasket is a flat or broad gasket, which enables you an easier cleaning. But on the other side, it's a different type. So you have again the option to uh, well to use different tools to clean these gaskets. Then if you want to open the door, you know, if you just have the door being opened and you retry, it's most of the time it's difficult to reopen the freezer door and you need a lot of force. And therefore there are some um, kind of ports to neutralize the, the, the pressure difference. So vacuum ports, and you can push them by hand or you use an automatic one if it's equipped, the unit is equipped with it. And these ones can be also be, be cleaned with a cloth on a, let's say, well, depending on the need on a regular basis to remove, again, snow. As a third point, we recommend to clean the air filter, which is for most of the freezers on the bottom or on the lower front side. And they're easy to remove, so you can just unscrew the filter grid, remove the filter and clean it with pure water or soap water. That's something where we would say, depending on the situation in the lab, every three months should, should be, that this should be done in the lab. Another part of the freezer which can be cleaned is the condenser. So that's something which you can vacuum to remove dust. For sure, that strongly depends on the clean, cleanness level in the lab. I know in the lab it should be clean, but let's face it, once in a while you see some kind of dust there and as the filter and the condensers are, uh, well, are getting attracted by the surrounding air, you will find a lot of dust over the months and years on these parts. Once a year, you should really think about a defrosting day. So to really remove all the samples out of the freezer and defrost the unit because at some time point, you're not able to remove the ice manually, so you really have to defrost. And that's a manual step, actually, because we are coming from minus 80, and we know for sure there are, at home in the kitchen, you know these outer defrost systems for fridges. Well, that happens, that works pretty fine if you have just four degree Celsius or minus 20 degree Celsius, but it just does not work at minus 80, and that's why we don't see outer defrost systems in ULT freezers. So unfortunately, you really have to do it manually. 
the temperature at minus 80 is just too low to really do it in an automatic way because then you know you have a little kind of heating system in the walls which are warming up the surface of the wall, the inner chamber, and then the ice is melting and falling down. But at minus 80, you would need a really heavy, strong heating system there. So therefore, we have to do it manually. There are a lot of different, let's say, recommendations in the web available how to do, um, well, freezer maintenance. And this is just one example we found which makes sense. So it's a short list of less than 10 steps. We can just leave some notes for your colleagues for regular procedure description, what to do if you clean the freezer. I know cleaning up in the lab is, is not everyone's favorite and it's always some kind of, well, discussion who will do the next, will do it in the next time. But I think as freezers are normally shared by at least a complete team or even several teams, that is something um, where you have to find a way to figure out, okay, on a fair and regular approach, everyone has to do a freezer cleaning at some time point. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. So some lab people even call it the Freezer Friday to do all the cleaning. So I think just to make it clear for everyone, it is some kind of duty which you just have to do because the freezer is part of the, the lab environment. And even if it's most of the time just in one corner and everyone sees it as a part of the furniture, the freezer is an instrument which, as Aza uh, pointed out in the beginning, is really taking care about your valuable samples. And I mean, just imagine the, the, the samples are gone. Your scientific career is most of the time heavily damaged because you're just out of samples. So taking care about different steps on your side, that's the upper part of this chart here, you see what you can do on your own. And there are also some parts where uh, service technicians are needed to check some more internal parts of the freezer. So the electric components or the door alignments are things where I think most of us as normal biologists or chemists are a little bit, uh, well, unsecure how to do that one. But still, those are things you can do. So to summarize this, this uh, step or this chapter, there are some rules to, re to reduce the ice load or the risk of ice. That means be aware every time you open the freezer, you have, well, condensation risk. You have snow impact on your samples. They are warmed up. So think about the inventory. So if you know where your samples are, it just takes a few seconds to find the sample in contrast to the situation where you have no clue where your sample is and where you have to dig for a minute or two or three minutes, where is this sample in my freezer? And then also that has an impact, a negative impact on your other samples. We already pointed out, okay, there are some indications for, so some kind of early warnings if there are any issues with the freezer, so check the temperature on a regular pattern. Be aware that everyone who's using the freezer is really trained. Again, it looks like a piece of furniture, but it's an instrument. And it helps if everyone knows how to properly open and close the freezer. As mentioned, all the maintenance and uh, cleaning steps are helpful 
to keep your freezer in a good conditions for many years. And last but not least, think about an annual service check of the instrument as well. Now we have learned a lot of things about how to maintain the freezer. The questions also nowadays as the, the costs for power are increasing. Okay, what can I do to optimize the power consumption of my freezer? And that is something where we say, well, there are ways how to optimize the power consumption. And in principle, at least for, for our freezers here at Eppendorf, we did some, some checks and can say when you change the, the temperature from minus 80 to minus 70, in average, on average, you will save 30% of energy. So 30% less power consumption at minus 70. Now, some of you will say, well, but are my samples still safe at minus 70? And that's really indeed a good question because there's, at least to my knowledge, no real proper proof that minus 70 is similar to minus 80. That's the bad part of the story. But the good part is we are all aware not all samples really need minus 80. So if you have water-based buffers, if you have DNA samples, all that is normally absolutely happy at minus 70. For sure, protein samples, they should be really cold. Cell samples, also minus 80, although I sometimes think could be better to use them at, at liquid nitrogen. But in principle, there are a lot of samples which easily survive minus 70. And there are more and more institutions who, which are using minus 70. So for example, the University of Boulder in Colorado, they have now 70% of their freezers switched to minus 70 to save energy. The cleaning as we described it and the check of the gaskets can also improve the performance of the freezer energy-wise. The ventilation around the freezer, what Azea described in the beginning, has also a positive or negative impact on the power consumption. So the more you load your freezer with cardboards and storage boxes outside the freezer, on top of the freezer, the more the heat is stuck in the freezer, the more the compressors need to work and the more power they consume. And as already mentioned as well, inventory management systems help to really limit the opening times of your freezers to a minimum. So you can find your samples within seconds instead of minutes. Actually, we do have a poster for download to, with all these tips and tricks how to save energy on the freezer. So it's available for free on the Eppendorf website. An interesting approach is done by the organization My Green Lab, which is um, a situation where, where this NGO is every year and the first half of the year is announcing a global international freezer challenge where users in the lab can just improve their freezers, fridges, ULT freezers, and document what they save. And then they can just submit these data and my green lab is then announcing a winner in end of August, beginning of September to let's say um, announce the lab which saved the most energy in their lab. And it's more like a, um, a competition where it's about honor and sustainability. And we see this as a good way to, well, to train everyone to take care about energy consumption in the lab. And for sure, if we talk about data and trust, it's also a question of are all these data and all these tips and tricks provided by the companies, the suppliers are just coming from their own or do we cooperate 
with external parties. And that's why we want to point out here that, for example, all our performance data of the freezer are not just append of data. They are produced by an external agency where we send over three units in the, before the launch of a new unit and say, hey, those units need to be tested. And these data are then used for all our uh, performance data sheets and all the flyers and all the websites really to have independent data, which are not just generated by our own R&D. For sure, the questions always are all units tested after production. And I think all the big suppliers are doing this, that every unit is really checked for at least 24 hours in the factory for proper usage. More and more interest is generated on sustainability, as mentioned. And there, we cooperate with the My Green Lab and the Act Label on the one side, but also Energy Star as another independent testing body. And ACT is, I think, a shortcut, a synonym you may have already heard a couple of times for different products. And that is something I would like to have a short glimpse on it by showing you this slide. ACT is a sustainability calculation factor. So my Green Lab is checking on uh, different points, the life cycle of a product, what you can see on the left side as a certificate, providing points for different actions on the supplier side. And finally, you as a user get an independent validation of a product in respect to the sustainability footprint. So not the carbon footprint, but at least a lot of information about the sustainability factors of this specific product. And as you can see, we started, we have a lot of products now. We started with the freezers in 2018 and have now also a lot of different uh, consumables as well as centrifuges and liquid handling products which are certified or labeled by the ACT label of My Green Lab. And we are really eager to proceed this way because we see a high value for you folks to get more information, background information about our products. So to summarize this webinar, maintenance of the freezers is really key to keep them alive for a long time. And it also saves your investment into the freezer. So Take care about condensation, take care about snow, take care about ice, because that is the, the critical part of the freezer. Then with this one, I would like to recommend if you're interested in the topic of sustainability, we will have another seminar end of September, actually the 28th of September, uh, talking about a more sustainable lab. And that is also for free. So just have a look there. Feel welcome to register. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks so much, Jan and Azar. That was an excellent presentation. We've got a few questions from the audience already. If anyone else has a question, please feel free to post this in the questions box that appears on the top right of your screen. Um, but before we dive into those questions, uh, we also have some questions for the audience in the form of a few polls. Um, so the first poll is how often does your team open the ULT freezer per day on average? Um, so I'll give everyone a few seconds to think about that and answer that. And then I do we want to pull up the answers when we have them? No, we can. <laughs> we can have a little look. I'm just waiting. I can't Opening control that from here. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Yes. Um, 
Ah, so yes, most people actually don't open their ULT that much. Um, is this kind of what you expected to see in terms of the numbers? Yeah, I think it strongly depends on where you locate your freezer and what's the purpose. If you have a lot of long-term storage, for sure, that's something where you, well, limit your openings. If you have a freezer which is used by 20 people in parallel, mm -hmm. then for sure you're more on the bottom line of this uh, graph saying, okay, there are tons of openings per day. But interesting, yes. Yeah. Um, and we can move on to the next poll question. Do you use your freezer at minus 80 or minus 70? And of course, this is also about the ultra low temperature freezer, not the minus 20 freezer. <laughs> so um, I'm curious about this one. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> see how yeah. far we are. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So yeah, most people do still have it at minus 80. Um, Jan, you talked about it a bit already in the presentation, um, but I'm curious to hear um, your personal opinion about this. Yeah, I think as being a scientist by training, I totally understand the skepticism on the, the user side to say, well, I will not change the temperature because it was there forever at minus 80 and minus 80 is the set point. Mm -hmm. I think we have to, to balance it between sustainability, meaning energy saving and the safety of the samples. And I think there's not a general rule just to say, well, we have to switch all the freezers to minus 70. It must be evaluated in every lab, team by team. If it makes sense, does it make sense? But I think the 30% less energy consumption is just, it's a, it's a proper argument, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe even if people have more than one freezer, they can have one minus 70 and one minus 80, just to be sure. So. Yeah, that's what many people do. Um, and I think we have one poll left. And that is how often do you clean your freezer? So this is, again, a very confronting question for people to think about. It's anonymous, so we yeah. will not check. <laughs> And yeah, most people, I think because you said it was anonymous, most people admitted that they rarely <laughs> clean it. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe with the tips you've given in this presentation, um, it, it doesn't look so daunting. So maybe people will give it more of a clean. Um, I think it's time to move on to the questions. So um, let me start with um, what type of rack do you recommend for these freezers, drawer or side access? Yeah, I mean, um, this depends, but I think in our opinion, it's better to have um, the, the, uh, with the uh, drawers. Um, like that in that case, you have the boxes and when you open it, that you can easily access. Mm -hmm. In the side one, there, of course, then you need to pull all the racks to reach the sample. And in this case, maybe when you pull, sometimes we need to carry all and it can fall off. So it's better to have the drawer once we suggest it. Um, yeah, it will be our choice. Um, and this question came in a while ago. Um, is it necessary to keep some free space inside the freezer, for example, between sample boxes? I would say not at all. I mean, you should have around the freezer racks 
So the, the complete set of racks on one uh, shelf, there should be some room to for air ventilation. So between the freezer outer walls and the racks, but in between, I would not put a lot of space. So uh, the more samples you put in one freezer, the more efficient you are. Thanks, that makes sense. Um, this is a comment about uh, some freezers show a super freeze caution. Um, what's that all about and what can be done with those warnings? A super frost, you mean a sign mm. or? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe um, Shubrajoti can um, elaborate on this question um, and we move on to another so because, one. I mean, there are for, for uh, minus 20 freezers, you do have the super frost button on, uh, on units, which means the, the freezer is super freezing. So it's adding a few degrees Celsius on top. So not minus 20, but minus 25, for example to cool down in a more efficient way. That's something which you can do with a ULT freezer as well by the settings. There is an offset. So that means you can add another one, two, three degrees Celsius if you want to, to mm. the official set point. But that's something where I would say, well, it depends on the situation. I think for minus 20, it makes sense to use this function, but for minus 80, normally the, the cooling system is strong enough to do it on its own. And it's already so cold, so. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, how can opening an ultra low temperature freezer affect the quality of the material inside? Well, every opening is pretty much bringing warm air from the environment, from the lab environment to your samples. So that means that's why more and more freezers do have these insulated inner doors, which are splitting the, the axis. And for sure, that's why you should be fast because every opening, well, brings in warm air to the samples and they are starting to, to thaw a little bit. And well, key rule is just keep it short. Thanks. Um, what to do if there are moisture droplets located on the edge of the door close to the seal um, and they think it might be due to high humidity in the past few weeks um, but is this something that they need to clean or keep an eye on yeah that's a good question so moisture is something like condensation and i mean condensation only happens if you have a cold spot so that means if there is condensation near the gasket and the gasket is pretty much the weakest point of the insulation of a freezer because all around you have thick heavy insulation and the gasket is just rubber independent from the supplier so normally you see this the weakest or the, the coldest spot on the outside of a freezer is near the gasket humidity especially in summer is is common sense all over europe i think and that means you have this risk of of condensation and I would strongly recommend to, to wipe it away every day or every second day because humid environment, especially in the lab, can result in also in, in fungi, which are just growing on the surface. Mm. Yeah, and I guess especially with this weather, <laughs> things just condensate. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit already about um, minus 80 versus minus 70, but are there any references to look at um, the equivalence or a comparison between the temperatures um, in terms of sample storage quality? Yeah, 
that's that's also a very interesting question because for sure we are all scientists so we want to see proof and as mentioned there is at least to my knowledge no publication available but i know that several universities are doing long-term studies and the point is you can just imagine if you have two freezers minus 80 one at minus 80 one at minus 70 and you need to have exactly the same type of samples inside and then the downstream analysis steps must be 100% identical. And my gut feeling is that the impact of, for example, a DNA cleanup afterwards plus an, uh, a real-time PCR has a higher variance impact than the temperature in the freezer. So I think it's very difficult really to prove it on hard facts, mm. but it's, a, it's a really a valid approach. We have to, to find ways to prove it as a community. Thanks. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> um, and what about storage containers? Um, do you have any recommendations for what are the best types of containers or boxes that people can use? Azar, do you want to take that maybe? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, um, it um, depends. We have different uh, racks. So uh, stainless steel, uh, our like suggestion that you can use, and then there are boxes. Um, in this case, we have like carton boxes that it can um, for fitting those racks. So that our suggestion will be that you can really organize um, every uh, drawer of the racks and put the um, carton boxes in it, and you can know. And also coming to organizing actually your samples, there are also like some softwares that you can um, have it like electronic notebooks and then like you can know where your boxes it is and how they allocate it. That also decreases the time of the door opening. Um, yeah. I think regarding the, the uh, material of these boxes, Personally, I would prefer uh, plastic boxes because they are far more uh, well long-lasting. Mm. Uh, cardboard boxes, I mean, as long as they are frozen, it's okay. But if you remove them from the freezer and they are thawing up a little bit and they are getting kind of wet, um, this cardboard will not survive long term. <laughs> yeah, and they always the, fall apart. <laughs> yeah, the plastic boxes, I mean, it's plastic, which is sustainability-wise perhaps less good as, as cardboard. But these, card, uh, these plastic boxes, they they will survive forever. That's at least my experience. Great, thanks. Um, we got a question about voltage. Um, I don't know if that's different for different locations, but the question is, is it necessary to connect a ULT freezer with a voltage regulator or should it be running directly on a 16A socket? Um, well, it depends on the local power supply i mean if you are aware that there are constant uh, let's say ups and downs of your power supply then this kind of converter may help but i think the bigger risk is really with power failures in some institutions where just uh, a weak power supply is happens so that means that you have an emergency power supply unit somewhere in the institution if the power is, is, is down that um, these, these uh, emergency power supplies will jump in and support you with power for, for the critical equipment like freezers. Um, and then we have two different questions about backup freezers. Um, so I know 
know if you remember what you said about it during the presentation, but we got a few follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. um, the one is, is it better to have our backup freezer shelves filled with empty racks or, or styrofoam boxes or just leave it entirely empty? Um, and the other question is, um, in case of an emergency, uh, actually, I'll ask that one separately. Let's talk about this okay. one first. <laughs> so a backup freezer is something which is a backup freezer. So if you fill it up with something, it's not anymore by definition a backup freezer. So to cut it short, it's more like really it should be empty. Depending on the performance of the freezer, it should be it can be switched on or can be switched off. So if it's a very efficient freezer, you do not need to keep it running all the time because it just needs three hours to to pull down. But in the case of emergency, you need to evacuate your racks with the samples from the broken freezer or the the damaged freezer, and that means it must be fast. So if you have to remove some kind of stuff out of the backup freezer, you are losing minutes and hours. And that is just what we really recommend to, well, to have this freezer empty and mm -hmm. ready for any kind of samples. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Ready to just put things in quickly. Um, and then the other question was, is it uh, better to have uh, the emergency freezer turned off or kept at minus 50 or so, something like that? Yeah, as mentioned, it strongly depends on the type of freezer. So you should check the tech specs how fast this unit can can pull down. So I don't know all the, the numbers by heart, but I just know that at least our freezers here, they need between three and four hours maximum to pull down from, from let's say, zero or, or 20 degree being switched off down to min minus 80. And then it doesn't make sense to keep them running 24 mm. seven because they are just consuming power. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have an old unit um, as a backup unit, which needs something like 10 or 15 hours, then for sure it's a question if it should run constantly as a backup. Thanks. So I guess that's just something that people need to think about and consider for their exactly. own situation. Um, here's an interesting question. Um, the question is, I have been trying to encourage academic colleagues to switch to minus 70 for the best part of a year. Do you have any suggestions on how to persuade them? Present them the power bill. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, let's face it, uh, the, the cost for power is just rushing up for everyone. And we got so much feedback from customers, from users about, okay, what can we do? Because our power bills are just skyrocketing. And I think, as mentioned, we are all scientists. So that means there is skepticism because it's something different. And I think every one of us will be very careful about high value samples, about what well, protein samples, about samples of patients, which we don't re get re-access to. And I think I would recommend to start with one freezer if you have several in the lab, which is just dedicated for let's say buffers and, and samples where you're definitely sure that they will make it at minus 70. And then after half a year or a year, if that works fine, I think the colleagues will just understand and, and appreciate Yes, it makes sense to switch more freezers to minus 70. They Thanks. want to see the proof. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great advice. And, and with, with most things, it's just show people what it costs that often. It's very convincing. Um, 
Oh yeah, this is another interesting question. Um, sometimes you might be in a situation where you just have to open the freezer multiple times in a short span of time. Um, and in those situations, the temperature might rise and it takes time to be back at minus 80. So do you have any suggestions for what people can do if they're in a situation like that? Well, I mean, if you, if you need access to the samples, there's no other way. You have to open the freezer, get your samples out. I mean, for sure, if you know you need several samples in the same day at the same spot, for sure, you can just collect all these requests and, and do it in one shot. But I think on the other side, if you have a powerful machine in the freezer, even three, four, five times of opening in a row will not damage your samples. So a good freezer should be able to pull down back or to recover back to minus 80 within 20 minutes after opening. You see it on the display. I mean, if, if the freezer after opening stays forever at minus 71, 72, that's a clear sign, okay, the, the cooling system is too weak for multiple openings per hour. That makes sense. Thanks. Um, if you have only one ultra freezer, how would you suggest to keep the samples cold enough um, during defrosting? Oh, that's a challenge now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you just have one freezer and you use racks at least, because that is the key for fast removal of the samples. I mean, what you could do is, well, it's, it's, it's a risk, honestly, um, to have some water, uh, some ice on a, on, a, on a table, big table, put your, your um, racks there, be two or three persons in parallel, at a winter day when it's not so warm in the lab and then you have to be very fast i mean it strongly depends on the samples but it's it's difficult i totally admit if you have just one freezer i mean you could use dry ice to cool the the racks so just to put dry ice but i mean not everyone has access to dry ice it's expensive as mm. well but i mean i would just start with one shelf i think and try it to remove these four or five mm. racks put them on some cold surface be quick, be fast, remove the eyes, put them back. It's not, not, not perfect, but I think that's the only way to go. Yeah. Good and, teamwork needed. And maybe the other thing is to ask around if someone else in the building does have a spare freezer that you could borrow. Yes. I mean, I understood it now as there's just <laughs> one single freezer in the building yeah. and then you're really alone. <laughs> then it's really difficult. Yes. But yeah, one bit at a time, that would work. But asking colleagues is always worth a try. <laughs> um, let me just read this question real quick. What is, um, this is a question specifically about uh, bacteria. Um, what is the op optimum viable period of freezing at minus 80 um, for recombinant proteins expressed in bacteria? So those are often kept at minus 80, um, but for how long? Can you keep them at that temperature is the question. Well, if I remember from my university times, um, bacteria with some kind of, for example, vectors included were always stored at, at liquid nitrogen because at minus 80, you have a high risk that this, let's say, foreign DNA is kicked out over the time mm -hmm. and they are not active anymore. So I think it's, it's, time, it's definitely time dependent. I would never put them at minus 70 degrees Celsius, 
but you have to figure it out because every bacteria, every yeast is different and the behavior is different. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of also answered the next question, which is, do you think we can keep strain backups at minus 70? So, um, not really, <laughs> not really. I mean, there, there, I mean, sustainability makes sense, but it doesn't make sense if you're losing samples because that is also creating a lot of, well, costs, a lot of consumable efforts because you have to repeat experiments and then you're losing on, let's say, for example, the plastic load of your, of your lab. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the the last question, or I guess I can maybe we, we do have some more time if something else comes in. But the last one I have here now is how high do you think the temperature can go when removing ice or snow, especially if it's not done very often, it can take a long time to remove it. I think. I mean, if you have a powerful cooling engine it will still try to reach minus 80, even if there's snow and ice. The problem there is the power consumption is rising and the stress on the compressor, so the cooling machine will rise as well. So you're playing a little bit with the health of your freezer over the time. It will make it for even for years, but at some time point, you have a high risk that the machine will just break down due to the load of the, the, the well, the pressure there mm. and that means i think one two years in three years of no maintenance may may survive so the freezer may survive it but it's just a question is it worth it to play that game mm. yeah that's that makes sense <laughs> i mean yeah. if you're a risky guy do it try it out but in principle i would be a little bit careful there and really say okay once a year remove the ice and the snow. Yeah, yeah. Right, um, thank you very much. We have, I think we went through all of the questions. There were some duplicates, multiple people asking about storage material and things like that. Um, so I think that brings us to the end of our presentation today. Oh, thank you again, um, Jan and Azer for a very interesting um, talk and a great discussion. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Eppendorf. And finally, thanks to the audience for taking the time and listening today. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Eppendorf and Bitesize Bio. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen In from Bitesize Bio. To view the full presentation of this webinar or to browse the Listen In series, please see the episode description for links. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.